what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. And happy 4th of July, if you're listening to it on the 4th. Um, I hope you guys have a fun holiday weekend. I know that uh, right after I get this posted up, I'm going to go fire up the charcoal grill and the smoker. Got some brats, got some burgers, got some pork chops. We are getting down over here. And so, uh, yeah, should be a fun holiday weekend. Um, just before I introduce the guest, kind of want to throw this out there, man. I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter lately, and I got to, I don't know, man, I, I got to say something, you know, about it. And that is, you know, you, you have so many people who spend all of their time, all day long, it seems like, arguing with each other about what the correct next step is as far as political movement do you involve yourself in the republican party push a liberty candidate do you involve yourself in the lp help out the mises caucus you know fight the mises caucus do you go full agorist do you blah 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 there's a million and one different ways right so if you're listening to this and you're getting frustrated here's here's my little thing i'm going to throw out there just go do what you're going to do right Go do what you're going to do. Whatever it is that you do, so long as it brings about liberty, you will be bringing more to the table and more to the argument than anybody else. Because right now, it's just a set of blueprints that people have that they're arguing over, right? Go build something. Make it tangible. Offer it up. Say, look, here's the evidence. I got the receipts. This is how it works. And go do it. Man, I applaud you. I applaud your efforts. You know, um, there's there's people I look up to and I care about that. You know, they've gone the Republican route. They've gone this route. They've gone that route. Man, I, I endorse and support all of you guys. You know, I hope, beyond hope, that your efforts bring about more liberty for my children and my children's children, right? I, more than anything, just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Um, life's too short. You know, and we're never going to all see eye to eye. And here's the thing. We're never going to like each other either. You know, like you can't run with everybody. It's just one of them things. But if you're out there and you're fighting for liberty and you're doing something, I don't care if it's something as little as, you know, paying a parking meter that you see went out for, for one of your members in your community, you know, why you walk past on the street. I don't care if it's something so small like that. Just go do something, right? Go do something for liberty. And uh, you got my nod and my endorsement. And I'm going to get off my little soapbox with that. But that, I just had to throw that out there. Um, so anyways, what we are talking about today. So I got a friend of mine, RT, uh, very good guy, very good dude. Uh, he came on to talk about sobriety. Um, he's all, He also works in the educational system, so we get to hear kind of unique perspective uh, involving that. And as is the case with some episodes, unfortunately, you know, there was some um, internet connectivity problems. I edited, edited it out the, to the best of my ability. Um, but, and, you know, you can follow along. It's not crazy bad. But anyway, just want to give an apology there. Hopefully someday, you know, I can just be living so large that I can like have a full blown studio and fly people out like Joe Rogan style. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Probably never going to happen, <laughs> you know, because I, yeah. Anyway, but for the time being, this is what we got. And so, um, it was still a wonderful conversation. RT is a great dude, you know, doing the thing. A great family man, has a lot of passion for what he talks about. And uh, I don't know, all around just a great conversation. So with that, I will introduce RT. All right. I am here with my friend RT. RT, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Just about as good as I can on a lovely Saturday in Texas. <laughs> there how are it you? Is, man. We... Man, I'm doing great. I just got, went out and mowed, and I think you guys are getting the rain today. Like, we've got it over the past week, and so, like, I'm outside and trying to mow wet grass is always fun. Um, but, you know, hey, <laughs> <laughs> and exercise and perseverance. To come oh, in, yeah, I got you know? my big ass up on the mower yesterday, and right before the rain came in, I was uh, I was watching the rain clouds form while I was mowing, so that was a good time. 
Well, hell, you beat it, man. You got ahead of that thing then. But, um, no, you know, you and I kind of stumbled past. A lot of my guests I've met on Twitter, uh, you're no exception to that. And, you know, what what really piqued my interest is, you know, you you are in recovery. You do the sober thing just like I do. And you also have a unique perspective on the educational system. So uh, this is kind of a twofold interview, which is going to be great. There's going to be a lot of information that comes forth. But uh, beyond that introduction that I can give you, is there anything else you want to let the audience know about yourself before we get into your recovery story? Uh, no, I think you pretty much nailed it. I'm in, a, I'm in education and I'm also, uh, I'm not in recovery, but I'm sober. I uh, kind of mentioned before, while we were talking before the show a little bit about um, just kind of how I kind of was able to go it alone this last time. Now, that I know that's maybe unique. Um, I don't know. I just was able to. I just got tired of it. I just got burned out of feeling like crap all the time. But yes, um, that, that pretty much hits it. I'm sober and I'm in education. So I uh, think you nailed it there. <laughs> right on. So how, how did it start out for you, man? Like I, you just party too much? Like what, what, what's your story like? Um, so kind of where I'm at in the country it gets very very hot in the summertime and it seems like I, I don't know for whatever reason people seem to just like drinking's just not e even the people don't even bat an eye if you if you put back a 12 pack you know after work every, every day so it's that kind of attitude that kind of you know I just kind of fell into that and uh, then I realized like wait you know not everybody really does that they just kind of uh, maybe do that on the weekends and I was still doing it during the week probably like everybody else when I was in my teens and you know early 20s I was you know I'd go out and party and all that kind of stuff and then um, as I got older I'm like all right you know I was working physical jobs while I was in graduate school and stuff and so I was drinking pretty heavily then I mean and I think I talked before the show with you about um, like I got so used to that after work, you know, having a couple here and there, and then it adds up and especially I'm a bigger guy. Um, so the tolerance builds up and then you kind of realize like, man, you know, I'm putting away a 12 pack after work and other people are kind of not doing that. Maybe I need to look at what's causing that. And then I realized at one point that, you know, it'd been like two or three years without me taking a single day off like during the entire calendar year. Cause I was, I would sat down and would try to think about it. When's the last time I did not have a drink and you know, it was a couple or three years like, man, you know, even when I'm sick, <laughs> I have strep throat. I'm like, still like, well, I might have one or two. And then, <laughs> then when I, tr I, I quit a couple of different times, I took like a little break. I think when I was 21 for like three or four months, maybe, and then a couple of years ago, I stopped for like six, about six months. And then I went out of the country on one of those little resort vacations, you know, and everybody else is drinking. So why do I want to be the, the guy just sitting over in the chair, not doing anything? So I did that, which was fine. I didn't, I don't get like out of control when I drink, but it just is a constant thing where it happens every day. And I get back to the U.S. and it's, there I go again, right back to every day. And I've, you know, my daughter was born. I said, that's it. You know, um, she had some health issues when she was first born and I was stressed out about it. As soon as those were resolved, I'm like, I, I just stopped. Like, that didn't help me really get through the process there. And if I keep doing this, it's not going to be good for my kid. And so it was really that that kind of drove me to... Uh, to quit again and you know waking up feeling like crap all the time and then you gotta you know i've seen that meme on uh on twitter that bang is just the uh what i forget how they phrase it but bang is like something for uh people in recovery that oh yeah it's the it's the four locos for people in recovery yeah right there we go. <laughs> that is completely accurate like it was taking like that much caffeine to get me going and then you know quit drinking and have one of those I'm like man i feel like i can go out and do about 20 different <laughs> things before noon 
which is what I would do. I would just get so busy. I would just snowball. Like, I'm just going to give myself so much crap to do today that I can't possibly think about drinking. And I would go out and run. I would garden. I would, uh, you know, I would just do things around the house or start building things out of wood or whatever it took, you know. It wasn't necessarily cheaper than not drinking because I would go buy things like that to piddle with. But it kept me from wanting to drink. And then after, you know, a couple months, I'm like, why do why why haven't I been doing this? You know, do other people just walk around feeling like this all the time, like good and happy and ready to go out and, you know, take on the world. Why, why would I want to go back to that? And I've I started off with the mentality and I've maintained that I'm, that it's not permanent. Like if I, I keep it in the back of my mind. You know, if I go on a vacation or something, maybe I will. But I also, I, I, keep, I, I do that just so it doesn't feel permanent. And I don't feel like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able to do that again. And then when I wake up, I, you know, I go, I go to these little events or something with family. And I'm like, maybe I'll have a drink. Let me see how I feel when I get there. And I watch other people. And I'm like, I don't feel like having a drink. I feel great right now. Why the hell would I want to do that? So right. I, I just, I think that helped me more than I've had that before when I tried to quit, I had that permanent mentality, like, oh, I'm never going to drink again. And then it was like, man, this sucks. And uh, I wound up caving in and doing it. And uh, when I quit this time, like, I'll just not have that mentality. I'll just, I started off with, I'm going to quit for one year. And I told my family that, like, I quit on Christmas. I'm not going to, I might have a scotch next Christmas. They're like, What? Like, you're not going to do that. And as soon as somebody tells me, I don't know how y'all are, but if someone tells me, <laughs> bullshit. Yes, I am. Right. I'm sorry. Can I yeah. talk like that on your show? Oh, yeah. You're golden. You're golden. Yeah. No, it's hammered down. You know, you tell me not to do something. A matter of fact, funny story. When I was a kid, my dad was, uh, he was fixing the faucet. Uh, spigot on the outside of the house and he welded or, you know, soldered a new, new pipe fitting faucet thing on there. And he was like, that's hot. Don't touch it. Instantly grab that thing. <laughs> like looked him <laughs> dead in the eye and Going just grabbed ER. it. Yeah. Burnt the shit out of my hand. And you know, that is, there's fingerprints of that same mentality throughout my entire life. <laughs> you don't tell me not to do something, damn it. Oh yes. You know, that's a common theme with our, our ilk. I have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, here's, I always say it, man. And, it, and I don't get tired of saying it because it's a beautiful thing. It's like, it doesn't matter how somebody found sobriety or, you know, a, a system that works for them, a philosophy that doesn't involve imbibing, but we all pick up no matter the, the journey that brought us where we are, we all pick up some similar traits and similar things. And, and you're talking about focusing on the day you're standing in instead of thinking of it as a permanent thing. And that's huge. You know, it's, it's like you can do life whenever you consume it in bite-sized pieces, but it's hard to do it when you're looking at the broad scope of things, especially with something like drinking. So that's, that's pretty cool, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. They, you know, it makes sense now that you say it that way in bite size. I've heard, you know, educators who've been around forever say that you know when you want to teach a kid something uh, especially a difficult concept you don't just throw it all at them well they might have done that back in the day but you don't just throw it all out there and like here now deal with it because a lot of people are going to cave they're just i don't feel like learning that but yeah that that makes a lot of sense now when you think about sobriety when you word it that way um yeah i feel like that has helped me like i just focus on the day and like i don't you know my i have in-laws that drink I mean, they're able to control themselves, but they have booze all over the place. And I just walked by it now. And I don't even look at it. <laughs> like, you know, when I first started, it would have been like, oh, my God, God I would kill for a, a drink right now. Or I need to get out of here before I start really wanting it. Now I just look up there. I'm like, yeah, that probably tastes good. Maybe. I don't know. I can already think about how my stomach's going to feel. I'm going to have at least five or six of those. I'm going to feel like shit in the morning. You know, I'm going to be miserable. And then tomorrow I'm going to want to have a drink a little bit earlier and probably a little bit more. And then it'll be the same the next day. And all that just goes through my mind. And like, it just, 
I just can't bring myself to pull the trigger now. I, I'm just as nervous now about going back to drinking as I was about stopping, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Probably more. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more time you get away from, you know, your last drunk and where you are today, it, it becomes a little bit easier. But the trick that we fall into is when we kind of romanticize the good times and we forget about like how you mentioned, like, why would I want to ruin this with getting drunk? You know, we forget about that and we start looking at those, the alcohol, whatever it is, as something that enhanced the, yeah. uh, the situation instead of actually detracted from, you know, um, you know, you got kids, you got a family, you're able to be there and experience the Christmas day and the parties and all of that. And remember every single little bit of it, not that you, you know, were, were the blackout drunk type of cat at all. I'm not saying that, but you know, you, you're able to experience life on its own terms. And that's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I, I, that's another thing that always rolls through my head now before it was more self-centered and how do I, how am I going to feel in the morning, which it still plays a factor because I'm going to get up with my kid in the morning and right. am I going to be dragging ass? Am I going to snap at my kid because I'm in a shitty mood? Um, is there going to, I mean, there's all these other layers to it now. It's not just, well, it's seven o'clock. I could have four or five drinks and, and you know, I feel good for the next few hours and then I'll wake up and you know, then what, you know, <laughs> it's temporary. And then in the morning, that kid is permanent. That kid is here. Okay. And that kid didn't do anything to deserve me being an asshole because I couldn't control myself the day before. Now, maybe that's just the way I look at it, but I, I, I'm probably harsh on myself. Like your kid doesn't deserve that. Don't, uh, you can't, you can't give up and, uh, let them down. That's how I look at it. I'm let, like, I'd be letting her down. Um, and it, it kind of, it's just another factor that helps keep me from going into it again. And no, I, it, I think I might have mentioned to you when we were talking uh, through DMs. I actually had a coworker that uh, in their 30s, she was a very pretty young girl that uh, passed away last year, or I think it was this year. Uh, I didn't work with her anymore, but I had before um, from cirrhosis. Yeah. And uh, wow. when that happened, it really hit me like, wow, you know, this is somebody who, had just really gotten their feet into their position. They were in a very high stress environment. It wasn't your typical classroom, um, more behavior oriented. And, you know, it's very stressful. And there's a couple of people I worked with that were uh, addicts that just really couldn't control themselves. And I didn't even know that she was one. Um, she was very closeted about that, I guess, because. I got a text one day that, um, Hey, you know, such and such is in the ICU and probably not going to make it like, you're kidding me. What happened? You know, I thought maybe she had some kind of underlying thing and also got COVID or car crash. You know, I'm thinking a million other things. And the last thing I thought was, Oh, she was uh, a closet alcoholic. And, uh, that really hit hard. I'm like, wow, now I absolutely cannot go back to that. Cause I, that could easily be me. Um, not because, like I said, I'm not the blackout, get crazy kind, but it that steady, that steady drink, drinking all day thing um, really wears on your body and your liver and your state of mind. Yeah, man. Yeah, big time. And, you know, here's the thing is that with alcohol, too, and, and certainly with certain narcotics, but I've seen it a lot with alcohol. Uh, being involved, you know, with recovery, but people who go long stints of time with drinking, you know, even regularly and, you know, heavily, dude, if you've ever ran across somebody that has like wet brain or they're unable to walk anymore, like it is, they're never coming back from that. You know, while yeah. they're not dead, like certainly not dead, they have a life that they can live their life has been forever altered, you know, and that's, it's insidious because alcohol, alcohol is that one thing that is socially acceptable, right? Like, right. you know, at every single gas station that you go into and, you know, there's your drug of choice just sitting in the cooler, you know, calling you and advertised towards you. Like, 
I get it, man. Like that is a tough, tough thing oh, to overcome. A couple of years ago, what one of the things that really helped me realize, like, you know, as if, you know, as a libertarian, if, if you don't know that the media and, you know, these companies are definitely not on your side. Um, one more reminder of that was you're probably familiar because you're sober. So I know that you've heard about this commercial before. It's from Coors Light. I'm a big sports fan. always watch college football on Saturdays and stuff like that. Football on Sunday and all this stuff. Coors Light has a commercial. There's like a couple of young guys. One of them's uh, uh, both clean cut. One's white, one's black. They're wearing like, uh, they're like clearly in their, uh, you know, PJs. They're in their pajamas. They wake up, close the curtains, whip out a couple of beers and, the ad i think it says something like the beer of saturday morning or something i'm like dude the i mean they're just telling you wake up and start drinking at eight in the effing morning like, no that's, that's gonna be a hard no like as if i need anything else to tell me that uh alcohol is really uh dangerous in the way that it's looked at in society you got stuff like that happening that just tell you like, like oh my god They'll, they'll literally advertise, hey, be an alcoholic. That in this, uh, you know, our generation, you're probably close to my age. We really fell into this trap of um, craft, the craft brew craze, you know, especially yeah. Bricktown down there, OKC. So you've got all kinds of craft beers and stuff. And they basically made it cool to be an alcoholic, made it like a hobby to be an alcoholic. And I really fell into that, too. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll start drinking these dark beers and stuff, and it'll kind of keep me from wanting to. No, there's no trick. It's just like losing weight. You can take the diet pill, and you'll be fat again in three months, or you can stop eating candy. Like, that's what right. you need to do. Right. Yeah, it's it, – with, with, with us, it's – you know, it, it really is all or nothing, you know, Um and you, you hit, hit the nail on the head. I like that a lot. You know, it's like the diet pill or the cutting out, changing your dietary habit, you know? Um, and, and that goes the same for addicts and alcoholics alike, like both of them in the same camp. Like, yeah, instead of shooting my meth, I'm going to smoke it. <laughs> like, it's just, right. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, that's a little bit more extreme, but I mean, that it, it, that is something I, I tried, you know? Um, now, oh, yeah, one yeah, I'll, thing I'll do one line. I won't buy the whole eight ball. Yeah, sure you will. That's that's what everyone. Does. <laughs> do the one little line and go to bed. Everybody is in the, the Rolling Stones. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, now, how have your personal relationships changed? I know you know with your family and stuff like that. It sounds like everybody's been really supportive. But what about like friends and things like that? Have you had to change anything up there, or is everybody just been really supportive of your decision not to drink no they're supportive so occasionally i'll get like questions like well hey what's it like to be sober and i it makes me happy when that happens you know um because i i feel like hey you know this person might might be you know wanting to dabble and not poisoning their body all the time and see what that feels like and i tell them i tell them the truth i feel amazing i know unless i'm sick which happens a lot less frequently now that I'm not doing that. Um, unless I'm sick, I know exactly how I'm going to feel tomorrow morning. If I got stuff to do, I know I'm going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be dragging ass the whole time. If I am have an extra cup of coffee and here we go. You know, I haven't had any of the issues that I had, uh, to that degree. And, uh, yeah, as far as people being supportive, yeah, I, I made it known I mean, I've had people try to hand me drinks multiple times in social situations. I, I don't. I, I just tell them I'm taking a break. You know, it, some people feel weird and uncomfortable, or they they get in the argument where someone kind of tries to peer pressure them or kind of heckles them a little bit. If you feel like that, just tell them straight up, "Hey, you know what? I'm taking a break. Hey, I'm on. You know, I got sick and I took some meds and I I can't drink right now." Just tell them something, whatever it takes to leave, get them to leave you alone in that situation. And then maybe when you're one-on-one -on -one later, you can explain a, a little more in detail, you know, so you're not embarrassed or whatever. That At least that's what I did. Um, at least so they don't, you don't feel like you're put on the spot, you know, you don't have to lie to people, but 
I, I don't know. I, I would just tell them I'm taking a break. And uh, then it kind of just became permanent where people just accepted like, oh, well, he's not drinking. So don't even hand him a beer like he's not drinking. He's just sitting there. <laughs> don't. Nice. I've got my little mineral water over there and I'm having a good old time. And I do <laughs> still CBD. That is my the only thing that I put into my body that's not, uh, you know, well, that and coffee. But uh, if you take coffee away from anyone in recovery, they'll drive you insane. I'm <laughs> yeah. Don't touch my fucking coffee, damn it. Yeah. No, that's a that's a cardinal sin right there, buddy. Uh, yeah. But no, CBDs helped a lot of people. I know. And, and even in the rooms, like I know some some guys who struggle with very high anxiety. They struggle with, you know, uh, joint pain and all of that. And once CBD started becoming, you know, available, especially the non-psychoactive, um, you know, tinctures and, and things along those lines, like these guys really went all in on it. And it's been wonderful watching the conversation kind of shift, you know, in the, in the rooms uh, regarding that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But see, CBD has saved some people, man. That stuff is a, a miracle. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the typical DTs you would feel and things like like I said, I have tried before to quit quit drinking, and I just felt like so I don't know miserable, or I would think like oh I need to uh, you know taper down, which I did once semi successfully, but um, when I I just started taking C I ordered CBD knowing like this is my last drink hopefully that stuff gets here and it did I started taking it I'm like wow I can't even fathom like the way it makes my body feel I'm still relaxed I don't have that anxious feeling like I normally have just naturally and that but I'm not gone mentally I'm 100% there I'm, I'm completely sober I know what's going on there's no I'm 100% clear I just don't have that tick and man, it, it really did help a lot. And I, I still take it. So it, um, I, I rather enjoy it. It helps me sleep. And I don't even, I, I don't know if I'd credit it or just the fact that I've kind of conditioned myself to not want alcohol, but um, it definitely helps. I, I would, I would recommend if people are having those like DT symptoms and stuff to, to maybe look into it. Um, I definitely, I feel like it would help at least with like shakes or something like that. I don't, like I said, I haven't ever gotten that far um, right. personally, but um, it definitely made me feel better. I was able to sleep. That was, that was one thing that was, uh, I was worried when I quit. It was, oh man, am I going to be able to sleep now? Cause you know, I'm, you get used to being kind of half schnockered when you go to sleep. And then, uh, yeah, I just pass right out, of course, and then uh, <laughs> wake up and take off the next day after you get the cobwebs out. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that CBD helped me sleep and went right to bed the first night. Like, man, like, I, I can't believe people feel like this all the time. Why would I go back? Yeah, absolutely. That the one thing that sucks about my career is that I can I I'm a CDL driver and so we we get drug tested, you know, for DOT right. physicals and things like that. Um and so if I can't take CBD just because the chance of a the the small chance but a chance nonetheless of a false positive, you know, on that stuff. And so, right. Maybe I should have included that disclaimer. Too. Yeah. If you like, there's a subreddit about CBD and they'll kind of talk about drug testing and stuff. So maybe I should have clarified. No, you you're good. Tested, there is a small percent chance that you could still, uh, pop positive, uh, for cannabinoids. Um, so be mindful of that. <laughs> right. Um, but no, if, if you, I, We'll say it, and I'm glad that you brought it up because, man, that stuff is is for, especially for somebody new in recovery, and you're going through the shit, you're going through the meat grinder, you're feeling ran down. CBD has been proven to be a miracle for a lot of folks, and I'm glad that you you shared that part of your story. Um, I've heard kratom, you know, the same way. I don't know as much about kratom as I do about CBD, though, so maybe I shouldn't even mention it. Um, 
But anyway, so RT, how much time do you have sober now? Maybe you mentioned I just missed it. Uh, about a year and a half, um, which is coincidentally my daughter's age. So um, I quit about three weeks after she was born. So that was when she got out of the hospital and I was done. I was just done at that point. Like, I can't do this to myself and I'm not going to do it to my kid anymore. Like, I'm not even drinking and having fun anymore. I'm just drinking because I, because I, you know, that's just what I do. Well, that that's not just, that's not going to define me. That's not going to be who I am as the guy who gets drunk all the time. Um, right. And like I said, I wouldn't be blackout, but I just always had a drink in my hand. It felt like, you know, every, every time you're around someone, you go out to dinner, you know, <laughs> whatever the biggest drink is they have, I've got it, you know. Um, and so I just kind of broke away from from that mentality that I'm going to be the, the guy drinking. Well, congratulations, man. A year and a half clean is nothing to sneeze at. That's a, uh, that's a miracle. Um, and I, at I that, absolutely, man. And on that, let's segue into the other bit. So like, this is a twofold interview. Like you were, once I was bringing you on and I know that you're, you're sober, like you're screwed. You're going to have to tell your story. I want to hear about it. I love hearing about it, but the other part is that you are involved in the educational system and you're a libertarian like me and you've got some stuff to talk about with that. So let's get into that, man. How does that work for you? Like how frustrating is your life as a libertarian who, you know, works in education? This is going to shock a lot of people, but it's really not uh as hyperbolic and crazy as some people might think it's you know the john taylor gatto story of him being in new york is probably accurate to what goes on in new york okay uh, this state is not a union state which is probably i would get i would venture to say 50 60 percent of the problem solved right there when you have unions i, I was in a state that had a union before i came back home um and the difference is unbelievable. You know, you have common core, you have people that cannot be fired, all that kind of stuff going on in a union state. And they're showing up and they're like, and they got people that are, are not sober. They might not be sober at work. Um, and it's really hard to get them out of there because the union protects them. Um, but when you come to a state that's not union, um, you're kind of given a little more freedom in what you teach, too. I, uh, I really, I wish, um, you know, I'm not a big proponent of public education in general. Uh, I'm definitely a libertarian. I don't think public ed is the best way at all. I don't, the biggest problem it's, is it's compulsory. You Kids have to come, okay? So that's my biggest issue with it. And I try to make it at least... Uh, semi-enjoyable and teach the kids some uh, some actual skills rather than beating compliance. Uh, I didn't get into education for that, but there's about 30 or 40% of people who do that I've worked with. Um, so th that is a big issue. Um, we A lot of us libertarians want to just pile on and say, well, get your kids out of public school. Um we need to abolish public schools, things like that. And, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people in education actually believe, uh, believe in that as well. But uh, the problem is that'll be the last thing to fall. That'll be the last thing that goes away as yeah. far as uh, as far if, if the state was going to end. The last thing they'll get rid of is their system of indoctrination. They're, that right. that is what gets people compliant to them and makes them pay taxes and shit like that. They don't care. <laughs> that will get rid of some of these other organizations. That's whatever. But the education system staying. So I really wish more libertarians would get involved in it. I know that sounds sounds like uh, I'm speaking a foreign language to some people, but um, if we're willing to get involved in the electoral system. Um, like a lot of us are, then we should be willing to get involved in education because you don't know how much of a difference you could make. And if you make a difference in 1% of your kids' lives each year, that's like two or three kids who are now not going to be miserable 
beaten down. They might actually learn something from you besides I need to come in here, sit down, shut up and start working on my assignment. Um, that's how I grew up. And I hated school. I'm like, I mean, I wanted to go into education to teach, you know, things that our ilk probably believe in uh, more than others. And, um, and not teach compliance, not beat that into kids. Um, I've got stories about other people who do do those things. And these people are teaching your children. And um, if you're not able to homeschool, then they're just, they're, that's who you've got. That's who you get who you get and public ed. Um, I wish more of us would get involved because, uh, because somebody's going to be in that classroom. Until the state falls, there's going to be someone in that classroom. Yeah. And it's, it could be someone like, like my first year teaching. I hear a bunch of screaming and stuff going on. I'm standing up there talking about, I'm teaching history. I'm up there talking about whatever, you know, and I hear yelling and I holler at one of my kids, Hey, go call uh, the office. I think there's a fight in the hallway. Uh, you guys stay in here. And I ran out the door to go break it up. I get out in the hallway. And I see a teacher from across the hall, a man about my age, pretty big guy, in a 14-year-old freshman's face, pointing his finger about two inches from his chin and screaming at him. Just, I mean, absolutely reaming this kid out in the hallway. And I had to basically tell the teacher to calm down to send him back in the room, all stemming from him making fun of the kid made fun of his shirt. Like, well, brother, if that wow. if that bothers you, you're not going to make it long in this field. But wow. guess what? That guy still works there. Um, Jesus. I I was in another district in another state. I get a student who is on the spectrum. I hear a story. I mean, it's known that he's on the spectrum. If you have a, a child who is you, I mean, it, it's very obvious when something's going on with them they're having an issue especially if they're at elementary age and they haven't learned any uh skills or coping mechanisms or anything like that for different situations you can tell especially a teacher well this teacher puts duct tape over the kid's mouth while he's sitting in classroom um because he's hollering it makes him sit there with duct tape on his mouth for the rest of the class like wow that's insane how did that not make the news well come to find out after asking a couple of people, not only did that person not get prosecuted, they didn't even get written up. They still work at that school. And I don't even know if the principal talked to them about that. Um, so these people exist in education and yeah, we can sit here and like, Oh man, we, we really got to get rid of the education system, the public sector. Anyway, um, we can say that to we're blue in the face. But if it takes 20 years to have that for that to happen, well, there's a whole generation of kids who just went through that same exact shit with that quality of person in there. Um, it, you could really make a difference for some kids. Um, in my state right now, they have something called districts of innovation. And this gives the teacher a lot more autonomy. Okay, so I started off in one of these. And a lot of, uh, I'm in Texas, so a lot of districts in Texas are going to this, especially the rural ones. And most of Texas is rural. Is rural. So basically, if you qualify as a district of innovation, you don't teach to the state standard test. Like, they would straight up tell us, do not stand up there in front of the class and hold up last year's standardized test and start teaching to that. Te you, you went to college to learn these things, teach what you think the kids need to know, um, more career readiness type stuff, teach them how to learn. Don't just try to get them to memorize facts. Um, so there's kind of a push for that. And, and um, once that door latches, I mean, even when I was in the, the pro union state where they taught Common Core, once that door latches, that's your classroom, uh, especially if you're in a union state, they can try to fire you but it's a real hassle to do so. <laughs> so right. Get in there and you can teach whatever you want. Um, yeah. I got, I got a buddy of mine and he, uh, he's a high school teacher and he's very similar to you. You know, he's one of us. Um, 
but he's out here in, you know, my neck of the woods. And what he has done is actually started an after school kind of get together where he's like spoon feeding Austrian economics to these kids. You know, he's teaching them about Mises. He's teaching them about yeah. Rothbard. He's teaching them about, you know, all these different philosophy points and really challenging, you know, the indoctrination that happens in the other classes. So I'm 100% on board with the RT and, and, and the assertion that we need more libertarians involved in the system that isn't going away. We can virtue signal until our faces turn blue, like you said. But at the end of the day, these kids are still going to school and they're still being taught a very specific slant, you know. And you know, let's just be realistic, man. I know for me, I couldn't afford to homeschool. There's no way. Both my wife and me, we we have to work. We like to have a certain lifestyle right. that we have, you know, provide – yeah, man. I mean, we got to pay the bills. You know, we 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 have bills to pay. We have food to put on the table. And, you know, it takes both of us going to work in order to do that. And so, you know, public schooling is kind of the option that we have in front of us right now. And we do it and it's fine. But just knowing that we are hitched to that wagon and knowing that there's people like my buddy, like yourself, who were in that system and you know, it, Oklahoma is a union state. So like, you know, my buddy, he, he ain't going to get fired. <laughs> you know, like they could talk to him, but it's going to be, it's going to be no. tough for him to fire him, you know? So um, let me ask you this. So what, what do you think about like charter schools and, and, and things like that? Or Corey DeAngelis, he talks about like funding students instead of, schools like what do you think about that i'm very not educationally minded so like you are trumping me on any conversation we have here and educating me well uh, so uh charter schools i i'm all for um a lot of them are still gonna be a, a lot of districts are still still have them attached to uh their their home district there uh private school private school is great if you can afford it as you said and it, the costs of that are just astronomical now um for people to get you know an education they're already paying for through their taxes you know for their kids to go to a regular school so it's really hard to i mean maybe someone smarter than i can come up with a bill or whatever some kind of idea to be able to get some money back to those parents because, you know, I think the last estimates I saw, this was several years ago when I was listening to the Tom Wood show. And, you know, he had a guy that was education uh, specialist and who'd done some, you know, macroeconomic study. And it costs, you know, 13, 14 grand, I think. And that was seven or eight years ago uh, to educate a student for the year. OK, well, if you can give that kind of tax money back to a family, yeah, they can afford to put their put their kid into private school and get them away. Um in the meantime, I would say the biggest thing that they could do uh, that will not happen because it's politics and, you get, and you're, they're manufacturing compliant voters with this system is get rid of the compulsory aspect. Don't make kids go if they don't want to go. And I really think that there's a shift in education going towards that. Not, not as far as um, not having to go, period. But as far as physically being there, you know, in my career, I've de dealt a lot with uh, kids who get in trouble. So probably like a lot of people in a little group, they're talking about how they acted in their youth. You know, they've probably been in some programs and stuff that I've taught. Um, so make and a lot of that stems from them just flat ass not wanting to be there. A lot of those kids are very, very intelligent and they realize like there is no point in me being in here learning the quadratic formula um you know so why make them go do that stuff you're for forcing them to and then those kind of kids are getting a criminal record they get in fights at school or they start doing drugs they bring something to school or whatever um so then they're immediately they're in the they've been arrested in school and now after school what do you get well you got felons who what are they going to do now? Because they're a felon. They've been branded that way. Um, so they can't really get any legitimate job. It, it's not helping 
to force kids to go. Um, I don't like public ed in general, as far as, um, you know, funding going from people end point, basically the threat of jail, if you don't pay your taxes, but if they could just get rid of that aspect, that would help tremendously. Just don't make kids have to go. Um, if jobs are still going to require you to have that, they probably will for a while, but, um, at some point they'll, uh, at some point they'll start coming around and, you know, like coders, you don't even really have to have a degree anymore. If you can prove that you can code, um, the, I think the job market's going that way. Uh, a lot of education is starting to go to where they have these programs that are like K-12 and you can do them online from home and it helps those kind of kids. I kind of I mentioned that it was shifting towards that. I think that's going to start taking over. And I think we should really push for that and otherwise get involved in education in the classroom. Um, don't let one of these maniacs who's going to scream at your kid's face from two inches away uh, teach your kids. See if we can get yeah. those people out as best possible until we can do something else. And try to push as hard as we can for this K-12 stuff, this do it online at your own pace, you know, knock your school stuff out in two hours and then learn something that you actually care about. You know, if you want to be an artist, spend the rest of the day learning how to do that or learn some kind of marketable skill instead of, like I said, the quadratic formula, if you're going to be a plumber is not going to help you probably. I don't know much about plumbing, but I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that that probably gets brought up a whole lot on the job site, but who knows? Uh, not a plumber myself. But um, yeah, man, if my kid came home and said that the teacher was screaming at their face, like, uh, yeah, we're going to have a problem. You know, we're going to have a big problem. I remember my daughter, she was uh, when she was in kindergarten. OK, so she's like six, seven years old uh, when she was in kindergarten. The yeah. teacher. So like they, she went to this after school program called Open Door. It was kind of like an extended, uh, you know, just until we could get off of work to get up there and pick her up. We paid extra for it, whatever, but it was still there at the school. And I guess at the school bell, they took all the kids outside to have a snack and go on their buses. And the kids that stayed, stayed, and they all went back in. Well, they left my daughter outside and she was like screaming until she was blue in the face and like, uh, uh, just so happened that a lunch lady, one of the cafeteria workers happened to come outside and see her and let her back in. And the teacher never notified us. We never found out about this. We had to find out from my daughter, you know, and like, I was livid, man. I was infuriated. And I remember yeah, talking to be. the, yeah. talking to the principal, like, what are you doing? Like you left my daughter un unattended. Like what's going to happen with this teacher? And then they put it off on my kid saying, well, she's kind of ornery. I'm just like, dude, I want to hit you people so hard right now. Oh I want to punch God. everybody in the face. Yeah. Like it was just insane, you know, but it, instead of, instead of a scenario where that they were wasn't like, even my kid and I was ready to hit that. <laughs> right. And, and instead of them realizing, Hey, this is a problem. This can't happen. It was circle the wagons, protect the teacher. You know, it, it became very obvious that that was going what was going on. And I can imagine that that's probably, you know, absolutely. It's the same as police units. It's just it's crazy. That's great. Now. So I know you're not union there, but do you see like teachers unions that like do you get like random reps that will come through and try to get teachers to unionize out your way? Or is that kind of just not even a thing? No. That's not a thing. Um, that's uh, a good way to get ran off campus around here. Um, the, this state pays their teachers better than a lot of union states do. Um, some some unions say pay better, but in general, um, you have a better relationship here than you do in other states where, where there is a union. You have a better relationship with your administrator. Um, you see them more often. They're generally more more friendly especially, you know, rural areas. If you get into cities, it might be different, but you don't have union reps. Out where I was at, you had union reps, and people wouldn't go talk to their principal as much about complaints. It was like, let me go complain to the union and see if I can get some 
rule changed or get them to lobby Congress in that state. Um, it, it was just a joke to me. And, you know, I'm like, what does this have to do with education? You know, if you have an issue with your boss, go talk to your boss. Uh, the unions exist for the sake of protecting themselves and enriching themselves. So I, I didn't don't see any reason for having them. I don't I've not ever seen a rep. Now, they do have these little legal union type things that you can join. Um, I, I've never joined one, but I've heard of other people doing it where like, you know, if you got sued for sexual harassment and you were completely in the right and you didn't do anything inappropriate because you know students do make things up occasionally i have i've had a couple of them that were that i never was in alone alone in a room with for that reason because they were known to do that kind of stuff um but you you'll have that so they have those little unions that you can pay to join but it's just like a legal legal representation that's it gotcha we're gonna go lobby congress or anything like that Well, that's good, man. At least you don't have that kind of external, you know, pressure <laughs> and watching your coworkers like yeah. drift off towards that. That would be a nightmare, I would imagine. But um well, man, right. RT, you've you've laid it on us. You know, we talked about you getting sober, you talked about like this educational stuff. Now, let's say that there's a libertarian who's listening to this and they're wanting to get involved. And, you know, you, you laid out a good case, like what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Where do you think that, that a libertarian such as yourself or somebody else has the best shot of affecting our youth? Like where would they be best suited for that in the system? I mean, you can straight up become a classroom teacher if you have a bachelor's degree. Um, Most states will have, uh, so you got a bachelor's, then you would need to take some kind of course. A lot of them will do like alternative course where it's like payroll deducted or something like that. You can look them up. There's all kinds of alternative courses is what they call it. And basically you do that and take a test to prove you know what the hell you're talking about. And you're good. And you can be in the classroom. I mean, you have to pass a background and all that. Um, so if you do have felonies or something like that, that might be an issue. But if it's for nonviolent stuff. Uh, uh, then I think you'd be fine. Um, but that would get you in a classroom. And then all of a sudden you're now, I mean, the state of education isn't great if it, everyone hasn't heard. So uh, the teacher to student ratio is pretty high. So you have the opportunity to help maybe a hundred, hundred plus students in a year. Okay. And to me, that's a big deal. You know, maybe I'm not, I might not be the best in the world at it. I just try not to contribute to the problem. Uh, the problem to, to me being compliance. I want kids to be independent thinkers. And uh, I, I hope other people at least get into that and have some uh, and teach kids to think independently and question things, if nothing else. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much my, my spiel. Um, like, as I said, we're not getting rid of this system as it stands. It's going to be the last pillar to fall. So um, we can you can help help groom the next generation, I guess, of pushing that pillar over. But no, you make a compelling argument, man. And I appreciate you coming on. Um, and and one last thing that I, anybody who comes on and shares their story, I always like to ask them to do this. If you could talk to that one person in the audience who was on the fence about whether or not they could quit drinking, what would you tell them? Um, think about tomorrow morning. If you could wake up and get anything that you've been putting off done. If you could, uh, if you could see that one person who's been waiting on you to make the change, you could see the light in their eyes when they realize that you have changed. Just think about that. Think about what, what not pulling that trigger today um, would do for tomorrow. Okay. We always talk about time preference as libertarians, right? So, Let's have a low time preference and think for the future. Um, invest in yourself. There's only one you. Um, don't invest in somebody else's idea of you. Don't contribute to the, the stereotype you've made for yourself like I did. You know, oh, he's the drinker. He's the guy who's always in a good mood um, because he's, you know, drinking. Um, 
be in a good mood because you love life because you're happy with yourself. Uh, you're good how you are. Don't, you don't need to change anything with a chemical. Very well said. Thank you so much, RT, for coming on, buddy. And uh, you have yourself a good one. All right. You too, man. I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. And thanks again to RT for coming on and talking to us, uh, sharing, you know, talking about his sobriety, uh, also talking about the educational system. As I said before, and, you know, in the in the conversation, I fall short. Like, I don't really understand all the nuance and, and the ins and outs of it. Um, I know here in Oklahoma, we are a union state. And I have seen some things that are pretty disturbing. I have heard some things that are even more disturbing than what I've seen. So um, I, I think our team makes some good points. One of those being that, you know, it doesn't, the educational system is going to be one of the last things that goes the way that libertarians wants it to go, right? Like public schooling will be one of the last things to fall. And so for the time being, it would be nice knowing that we have some people who are in there doing some undoctrination on our behalf, you know, to our children, to our youth. And, you know, like I said, I got a friend of mine who does that, you know, here locally, RT's doing it. So if you've ever had an inclination and you're good with kids and, you know, you, you're a liberty lover, I mean, you got my nod to go do that because we could use that. We honestly could. So, um, but thanks again to RT for coming on. And, uh, you know, I got some food to go cook, so I'll just segue right into the song of the day. Uh, this is Death From Above, 1979. The song is called Romantic Rights, and it's just fun. It's a fun song. Not really going to throw anything else out there beyond that. Um, if you've never heard them, give it a shot. Stick around for a second, listen to it. Maybe you'll like it. All of their music, you know, is follows along this same vein sounds like this very upbeat fast kind of grungy sound fun stuff uh but anyway so like i said death from above 1979 romantic rights Say, uh-oh, oh, no. 